Welcome back. I hope that you enjoyed the introduction to all the sacred things. I hope that you've enjoyed the notes. Um, this is module two. This is part two of the phases of a woman's life, the stages of a woman's life, however you want to put it. Uh, we covered um, my story in the introduction, and we also covered these, th what it's like to be a little girl, like all the attributes of being a small vulnerable, beautiful female and what we need to hold on to and what we need to go back to. So we're going to move on to phase two, stage two. This is the longest um, phase in a woman's life. Let's say if you uh, are, are live to be in your, your 90s, you probably will spend the biggest chunk of your time in this phase of life. And it's beautiful, like everything else is. But I've noticed when we start to move from girlhood into the next stage of life towards womanhood, um, the question on our minds a lot is, am I too much or am I enough? And I feel like when we're little girls, we're forming some of those ideas, but at this stage of, and I don't want to give it a, a year date, but obviously as we start puberty and our bodies start to change, we're being beckoned towards more womanhood. Um, and if you look hundreds of years ago, by the time that we started our menstrual cycles, we were married soon after. And so a lot of the things that we are faced with right now, with women being single sometimes into their 30s and not really even um, starting their family till their mid-30s, the biology, however, is still back 200 years ago. And so it is causing some issues that are very real that women are facing. But the stage, stage two of a woman is the lover is introduced. And you, if you know the things I teach on, if you've ever been in any of my classes or seen any of my podcasts, you know that I am 100% pro-male and 100% pro-female. Um, there's nothing in me that sees one sex as better than the other or one gender more powerful. They're just different and they're beautiful in their own ways and they were designed to work together. And so that is my whole heart behind this. But the lover comes out in us when we start to develop in, into womanhood. And what this brings out in us is a deep desire to be loved. And it's different than parental love. It's different. I, I have I have a wonderful father. I, I, have, I can't complain about um, the way that I was raised. My dad was what a father should be. He was a great provider. He was a great protector. He had three daughters and it was really hard for him. Um, he used to say to us all the time, like, I know how men think. You have to trust me. And we didn't believe him. Um, turns out he was right about a lot of things, about everything. Dad, you're right about everything. But this lover comes out that goes beyond our parents or our siblings or our peers. It's this deep desire. And with that is this sexual awareness that's always there. But with hormones and with age, it starts to take on a whole new form. And it's completely normal. It is how God designed us. It is how um, our bodies work. As soon as we start moving into puberty, we start having stronger sexual feelings than we did before. Completely normal. Um, this is often, of course, shamed in Christian culture that you're basically not supposed to ever have any thoughts, feelings, or emotions about sex until the day you get married. And then you're supposed to be just know exactly what to do and be in touch with it. Completely unrealistic. We'll cover that in much more detail um, in a module I'll do called Kingdom Sexuality, um, which deals with all of the purity movement that I was a part of. I even taught in um, 
funny when you get older, you look back and go, well, I believed it at the time. Um, but I still believe that our bodies are very sacred and that there is something to protecting it and acknowledging the fact that whatever we do with our bodies is going to affect the rest of us and you can't separate it. I'm sorry, I just don't think that you can separate a woman's body from her soul or her spirit or her heart. It's all connected and it's going, it's going to affect us. And so we get to decide how we want to um, manage that. But this lover comes fully alive and it's this desire to fall in love, but it's also this, this desire for lasting, meaningful relationships. And I do believe we were created for that. And it is a deep desire within us. And the times in my life that I have not had a deep, intimate relationship, I've missed it. Um, now, on my second marriage and um, having gone through all the things that I've gone through, I'm so appreciative of it. And I treat it with so much respect and I'm so much more aware of my husband and his needs and what he brings out in me and the beauty of our intimacy than I was obviously when I was a really young woman. I didn't understand the whole of it. And now that I, I've experienced it, I would really miss it if, if it weren't there because I do believe that we were designed for intimacy with God and we were, we were designed for intimacy with other humans. And whenever people say to me, I'm just looking for community and people to do life with. I'm like, no, you're not. That's everywhere. Everybody has that. I, you can go to the grocery store. You have community. You, you can go to the car wash and there's community. You wave to people. You say, that's all community is. It's just people kind of living in the same general area. We move from community to tribe and then into um, a family and then into intimacy. And it doesn't have anything to do with biology. I mean, I've raised three children that are, are not my biological children. My heart does not know the difference. Our family is who we treasure most and who is most sacred to us. And then there's this intimate relationship that, that we really crave with other human beings. And it's rare and it's precious and it's sacred and it, it is beautiful. Um, until that is realized on some level, I do feel like there's a longing in all of us. And I feel like this starts to come alive more in as, as we grow into womanhood. Um, and with that comes the desire for sex. And we start craving that and looking for fulfillment in that when we're very young, before we know really exactly what to do with it or how sacred it is. Um, and the damage that can be done by this craving for intimacy and this, this wanting of the sexual side of our life is it can lead us to places we don't want to go. And I'm sorry, I've never, ever, ever sat with anyone who's looked me in the eye and said pornography was the best thing that's ever happened to me. I'm so glad I had it and I want my kids exposed to it as soon as possible. I have only personally seen the stories of people that have opened that door and been sucked into a world that they never wanted to be in and had a really hard time getting out. And it destroyed the idea of intimacy. It warped the idea of what sex is. And they've had to relearn what God's actual plan for that was. So these desires that come up in us are normal and natural and real, but it doesn't mean that we can be frivolous with them. We still have to be protective of these things. So this lover in us, which by the way, good news for you if you're young, it only gets stronger as you get older. It, it only gets better. I'm sorry there's, there is so much press 
for lack of a better word out there, that really criticizes everything about getting older. If you, if you stay on this journey and you continue to grow, you continue to stay connected to the Father and your heart and your soul and your mind and your body, and you realize they're all working together, they're all part of the same bigger picture, and you are caring for and honoring every part of that, the payoff is amazing. I'm not saying I haven't made huge mistakes. I'm not saying I don't have any regrets. I'm not saying that I didn't do things out of immaturity that I look back on now. I'm saying the overall picture of continuing to climb in this lover side of you, it goes way beyond sex. It is like, you just can't even believe the flavors of food sometimes. Like that's the lover in you. And it's like, the, the, I'm sorry if, if you don't, if this offends anyone, but I love red wine. I mean, I love it. it. It is a joy. I don't drink it every day. I don't drink it all day. But when I do, I really try to like find the notes in the wine. And I love my sex life. I, I love all aspects of this, but all those things I have appreciated more as I've gotten older. It doesn't dull down. It becomes even more precious and more sacred. So out of this lover um, comes the mothering. I think a lot of us are born with this, this innate need to nurture. And I do think it's stronger in females than it is in males. It's, it's just what I've experienced in my own life. And I, I loved having baby dolls because it gave me something to nurture. My daughters never wanted to play with baby dolls. That was not their thing at all. But they are very nurturing people. This mother side of us comes out no matter what. If you are in your 40s and you've never given birth to a child and you maybe you don't want to, I guarantee you, you have some really well taken care of plants or a really loved cat or a really adored dog or a really spoiled husband. There is just a nurturing in us that's natural. And the beauty of it is, is it, it goes way beyond physically giving birth. There's something amazing about a baby growing inside of your body, your body maintaining this life and then pushing this life out into the bigger world. And then you putting it to your breast and continuing to nurture and give life to this little tiny human that's so dependent on you. It's amazing. You realize like being a woman is a really amazing thing, but there's so many women that have no interest in that. And I, I'm meeting more of them than I ever have before that just say, I, I don't have any interest in giving birth. I don't have any interest in this. And that's okay. But I promise you, you are going to mother something. You are going to find something vulnerable, small, weak, that is that needs you specifically. And you are going to pour your life into it in a very nurturing, life-giving way. It's just who you are. It's what you were created to do. And this is a beautiful thing. It is, it takes you deeper into womanhood because you are giving away something to someone else that can give absolutely nothing back to you. I don't care what you say. Your cat can't give anything back to you. Your cat doesn't care. And your newborn doesn't care. And your teenager really doesn't care. You are just there for them. You are a source of life for them. And that can make us martyrs and that can make us bitter or that can make us say, oh my God, this is really a miracle that I get to do this. And I loved having babies. I didn't love being pregnant. I didn't love, I didn't really know what to do with newborns, but 
I became a stepmom when I was 30 years old of a two-year-old, a six-year-old, and an eight-year-old. And that sprang me into womanhood more than anything else in my life. Because here were three little humans that had no biological tie to me. I didn't carry them in my body. I didn't breastfeed them. I didn't keep them alive when they were very small. Another woman did that. When they came into my life, my, I understood like the nurturing, mothering side goes so far beyond what we ever dreamed of. And they had no obligation to love me back. I always tell my three biological kids, like, you have to love me. I'm your mom. I gave you life. And they're like, you're right. We do have to love you. My sons don't. They really don't. And sometimes they, they probably don't really love me. That's okay. I realized at that time that I was created to love them. I was created to nurture them. I was created to give them life. And it didn't matter if they gave anything back to me. And that's what the, the spirit of a mothering is. Okay. Um, along with this comes the hunter warrior. And I love this because um, independence of femininity. Think of the warrior as a career-minded woman who cares about values, goals, and achievements in life. She wants to protect and fight for her own sense of identity and does so by using her skills. A mature hunter warrior may also reach out and try to protect and defend other women in the same situation. The hunter, protector, warrior, caregiver, mother, all is coming together in our womanhood. This is what I see is the, the justice that we demand for other women and ourselves. And I see it as activism of this person is vulnerable and we cannot let them be tread upon. This situation needs someone else to step in and, and bring life to. This, this is worth it. This is worth the fight. And this deep desire in women where we are so strong that when we go from girlhood, which is pretty much, hey, I just need to protect myself because I'm small and I'm vulnerable too. I'm supposed to protect the world. <laughs> like I, I don't know any true woman that could walk by a child that was hungry and not want to feed it or a woman that was being beat and not want to throw her body in between whoever is beating her. Any vulnerable situation we can relate to because we were born vulnerable. And so our hearts automatically connect to that and we are going to fight. And I love this because my daughter-in-law and my daughters, man, they are warriors. And sometimes other people might think it comes out as very angry or they're, they're extreme feminists or whatever. I'm, I'm watching the whole picture of their life. And I know that there's justice in them that says, this is not okay. And I am not going to ignore it. And I'm going to speak up for people who can't speak for themselves. And I was so feisty at this stage of womanhood where I probably was offensive to other people. I'm sure I said immature things. If we had had Facebook back then, I would have had enemies everywhere because I was just ready to fight all the time because I couldn't stand the injustices that I was seeing around me. I couldn't stand that people were being beaten or people were in slavery or people that were hurting or people were hungry. It was just went, be, it went, counterclockwise to everything I believed of what we were created to do. That needed to come out in me as I've matured. I've learned to listen more and talk less. And I have learned to 
understand when a woman is in a stage where she is just lashing out, it is a place of protectionist and warrior. And if she, if it, it, as she hones it in, she'll actually have more power because she'll have more influence. She'll have more people that want to listen because she's not alienating an entire race or an entire culture or an entire gender with her feistiness and her warriorness and her sass. But she's saying, okay, wait a minute, we're all in this together. And how can what I have to say of value as a warrior and a protector and a caregiver and a nurturer actually change culture instead of just offending people? That's the difference. I'm still working on it. The things that I say alone with my husband, I would never put out there. He lets me kind of get it all out of my system. And then I say something a little more um, acceptable on social media. But I don't ever want to lose that side of me that's just ready to fight for, um, for injustices and for the vulnerable. Okay, so at this stage, we might start to question our instinct. This is very interesting to me because this is when we need our instinct the most. This is when we are the most out there. This is a stage of life where we're, we're building, where we're growing, where we're changing, where we're, we're moving into different seasons of, of womanhood. And we may become mothers, we may become wives, we may, we may reach the pinnacle of our career at this stage of, of womanhood. And this is the stage where we need to listen to our instinct more than ever. And because of the messaging, because of other people's voices, because a lot of times in my, in my situation, religion, which what I mean by religion is, is rules that override the voice of God and the focus on right and wrong rather than life and death and the focus on performance and not really being authentic and being able to transform other people's lives while you're being transformed, but ruling over judging and controlling is what I mean by religion. So this time of life, we need our instinct more than ever. And this is where we have to go to that still quiet place because your instinct is Holy Spirit speaking to you. You've always heard it. You'll always hear it. It's significant. I have had seasons in my marriage where my husband has said, I'll come out warrior and say, we can't go there. We can't do this. And this person is, is not good. And we and say, okay, I, I want to hear what you have to say, but is this fear speaking or is this instinct that we both need to listen to? Because he knows that my instinct is strong and he knows that I can save him maybe 10 years of misery by saying, listen, there's something way off here, babe. Like this is not people that you want to partner with. I'm just telling you, he's still got to figure it out. I haven't really figured out nagging between really making a point and working on it, but there's things I see, there's things I feel that he misses. Not because he's stupid, he's brilliant, because he has a man brain and he's often in one capacity or one compartment while I am seeing the whole all the time. It's a blessing and a curse because we feel everything. Most women, when we walk in a room, like we know what other people are feeling. We sometimes get distracted. I was having um, a drink with my oldest daughter the other day and there was a little boy off to the side and I could not tell if his dad had just like pulled him aside because he was misbehaving or if there was something really off there. And I couldn't concentrate until I knew this kid was okay. Turned out his dad was just taking him for a walk to get him away from the table to kind of give him a breather and they were laughing and playing and I was okay. But I couldn't 
not see it and I could not think about it. At the same time, the waitress next to us was being berated a little bit and I missed it because I was thinking of this little boy over here. We were just supposed to have a, like a little martini, enjoy ourselves. But um, I lost Alexis in that moment because she has been a server and she was so aware of what that server was going through and feeling all of it. She couldn't concentrate. Our instinct was telling us like, not only am I aware of the situation, but God, what are you asking me to do in it? Are you asking me to intervene? Are you asking me to say a prayer? Are you asking me to bring some encouragement? Are you asking me to throw my body across this other person to protect them? We'll do it. We're willing to do it. But we're just aware of these all, things all of the time. It can be exhausting, but it's also a gift. And as you grow deeper into womanhood, you start to slow down a little bit, but you don't give up your instinct. You never want to ignore what that voice is saying to you. But as you mature, you realize that what's being said to you necessarily doesn't need to be said to the group or necessarily need to be told to everyone or, or told or shared, or even that you're supposed to do anything about it. God's just making you aware of it. But it's so important. And you guys all know what I'm talking about. You know that feeling when you walk in a building and you're like, oh, something's off here. I don't know if I want to be in this building or what am I supposed to be aware of or certain people that you, you know, we have good instincts really when it comes to men and when it comes to times that we're being, we have predators and we're the prey and we can feel that. And something somewhere along that tells us, ignore that, just be nice, just be good. And I've always really kind of tried to focus on with the younger girls in my midst and, in, and myself is there was generations of women that were told, be good, be good, keep things even, things keep, keep steady, just absorb it, just don't say anything, don't ruffle feathers. And there's women that I've known that have, have gone on and died and they were good, they were good women, but it always bothered me that I saw something great in them and they never stepped out in it. And I know a lot of it had to do with tradition. A lot of it had to do with the time of earth that they were, that they were on. And I don't judge them for it, but it kind of made me sad. And it's made me not want to just be good. It makes me want to be great in the way that I want to have an influence and impact on other people in a positive way. And if I'm just trying to be nice all the time and I'm just trying to keep things steady, I'm not being honest. My instinct will tell me when things are off, your instinct will also tell you when things are amazing. When I met my husband, everyone told me, except for my, my dearest friend, like, this is not a good idea. This is chaos and your life is good. My instinct, however, said, I'm doing this. Not out of rebellion, not out of, I'll show you. I Whatever it costs, it's going to cost me. It's not going to cost someone else. But I want this. This is a good thing ultimately that I want for my life, even though it's going to cost me. Same thing when my first husband died and I wanted to move to Colorado from outside Detroit. Didn't know anybody in Colorado, didn't have a job yet. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I had this strong instinct that there was healing for us here. There was a new life for us here. There was something good for us here. Fear could have stopped that. Listening to other voices could have stopped that. I couldn't get any grief counselors to back me up on making this decision because everyone says, don't make a big decision like this in the first year after you have a major loss. It's great advice. It didn't apply to me in the situation because my instinct and my connection with God told me something different and it was absolutely the right thing to do. Okay. So 
The price for not ruling our emotion comes at a higher cost as we come into womanhood. You can throw a fit when you're a little girl and people will laugh, people will ignore it, people will walk over you while you're throwing a tantrum in the middle of, of um, Target. It's not acceptable to do anymore and we are a little more responsible and we realize if I lash out in my emotions, I lose credibility with people and I am trying to build credibility. So this is a stage in our life where as we mature, we still have all the emotions. We still have all the feelings. There are times I want to throw a tantrum. Believe me, I do. That's why I take up boxing occasionally, because that's my way of throwing a tantrum without hurting anyone. That's what we start to realize is throwing tantrums or not ruling our emotions or letting our emotions rule us hurt our relationships, hurt us, and make people question our integrity. If that isn't what you want for your life, you're going to have to take a deep breath and say, I'm feeling all of this right now. How can I express that in a way that people can hear my voice? Maybe there's nothing wrong with what I'm feeling, but how can I do it? I've learned through the grief process, there's very few people I can just blatantly weep in front of because it freaks people out. So I tend to do that by myself, hysterically cry by myself. I will not stop myself from hysterically crying. I often will go on a run and just sob. I'm hoping I won't run into anybody on the trail, but I don't do that in front of a group of 40 people that I just met. It's too sacred and it's too precious and it has to be protected. So we start ruling our emotions. And then the side of us that's wild, we have to, we feel like we got to tame it a little bit. This can be really good and this can be not so good because the wild in us and the adventure in us is what makes life interesting and, and makes it exciting. However, like I told in the, the first module, we can't just jump blindly at this point without thinking of the consequences because they usually at this point in our life go much deeper and further than just us. If I am a single woman living for myself with no responsibility to any other person, which if you're a single person doesn't mean you don't have responsibility to other people. I've always had a great deal of responsibility wherever I've lived and whatever I've done and whoever I work for, I have to think through all the things that I say, all the things that I do, and how it's going to affect other people. This is a good thing in the way that I have to step back for a minute and really think. And this is where you start to realize that you are listening more and talking less as you mature because you're not just blurting out everything that you would have said when you were two or when you were six because you realize it hurts people and that in return also hurts you. Um, okay. And so sometimes our walls go up, um, and we are, we mute the voice of our creator and we turn up the voices of everyone else. If we are looking to social media to find our identity, we are going to be lost all the time. If we are looking to celebrities to tell us how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to look and what our relationships should be like, we are doomed. There's only one place that we can find this. There's only one place, the place that we belong next to the Father, the one who created us, the one who designed our hearts, the one who designed our noses, our hair, our hips, everything about us. He didn't make any mistakes. He knew what we were going to need physically, emotionally, spiritually, in our hearts, in our souls, in order for us to be what we were created to be and to fulfill our purpose on the earth. That's the only place we can look for. 
And a mature woman will look to that first. We get sidetracked sometimes, and sometimes we forget. But this is what the study about is about bringing us back to this place. Um, okay, so if we stay stuck in this season, we have to be careful that we're not overgiving, that we're not self-sacrificing to the point where we become martyrs, where we are going to live so intensely. I did this for a few years for everybody else and to make everybody else great. I'm going to completely ignore the fact that I'm a human being with a body, with a soul, with a sex drive, with everything. I have tended to, in my life, put my head down and only be able to do this one thing. If I'm mothering six children and being a wife, that's all I can do. Anytime I tried to do more of that, it was disaster. In that, I also put aside my social life. I put aside some of my friendships. I, I felt like everything was taking from me and I didn't have anything left to give. Looking back, had I lived with a little more balance, I don't know if I would have gotten as sick as I did. If I would have taken time and let the house be dirty for a minute or a day or a week and just had lunch with a girlfriend who I could laugh with, if I just would have rested for the one weekend where the kids all went camping with their dad and I was home alone instead of repainting the entire house and reorganizing everything because nobody was around. I probably would not have struggled with my health the way that I did, but I went overboard into the self-sacrifice, uh, also codependency and controlling. We can experience a loss of healthy self while we're nurturing loved ones or whatever one is in front of us. We can take care of our home and at the same time make space for this is my area and this is my spot. We live in a very tiny place right now. We're looking for a house, not looking real good with the market. Um, but I've gone ahead and, and just kind of carved out this place. It's literally about four feet by three feet in the corner of my bedroom. And it just looks like me. It smells like me. That's where I do all my writing. That's where I put my teacups. That's where I have my conversations. That's where I laugh. That's where I, that's just my space. It's different than the kitchen. It's different than, than my bed. It's different than everything else. I don't really worry about it too much clean it up every once in a while and fold up some blankets. But I've learned in my womanhood that if I don't have a space that's specifically for me, for me to just be myself in, and let me tell you, it's a $40 chair from Goodwill, so it doesn't have to be expensive, but it's just something separate than everything else. And I remember to, to take those quiet moments in the morning and those quiet moments in the evening, whenever I can get them to reconnect with God, it changes everything in my life. Okay, so we get to practice our health in this area. We get to um, we get to really understand how brilliant it is to age in this area. We get to understand how little control we have of things. This is something I tell everybody. I know it's a very simple concept, but if you really wake up every morning and you're completely overwhelmed, like I was for a good part of 20 years, I started asking myself two things. First of all, what is mine to do? And it was always amazing to me when I asked God that question and he would give me his list. It had like one or two things on it, like love me and be kind to other people and take care of yourself. My list looked completely different, which is why I was overwhelmed. I thought I had to do all these different things all the time and be all these things to all people. I never could just like order a pizza for some reason. I don't know why. I always had to make like a five course meal and deep clean the house. 
that made me not want to have dinner parties very much because it was exhausting because I made such a big deal about it. And I always admire these women who I went over their houses and they were just so chill. And I thought, I never judge them. I always think, wow, it's so nice to be here. It's so comfortable to be here. And she's not sweating and she's not freaking out and she's actually enjoying her company. And I thought, maybe no one's judging me either. Maybe my expectations are expectations I put on myself and not expectations that I'm actually supposed to rise up to because they're not realistic. Um, at this stage, we um, can really grow in our sexuality or we can become very dysfunctional in it. And I think that that is a, a whole nother module that we will go into, but this is a part of womanhood where if you are in a healthy, life-giving relationship, this part of your life will grow. But we sometimes we ignore all the other parts and we only focus on one. I, I know some people, um, and we are doing a podcast on this with a, a young woman that's walked through it, but I know people that have gotten sober, meaning they don't use any drugs or they don't use any alcohol or any prescription drugs and they're clean from all that, which is great. It was bringing a lot of destruction into their life, but now they're like obsessed with something else. Like they work out six hours a day and they measure all their food and they've, and when I look at some of these situations where they become obsessed, just like not passionate, not um, on fire, but just obsessed with something else. And I think they gave up an addiction, but they've replaced it with another addiction. And that's not a place of true healing. That's a place of just exchanging. And I think this is the season in our life and womanhood where we get to decide like, where do I actually want to be transformed versus where am I just replacing one addiction with the other or one obsession with another or, or, or a part of my life that I'm just not happy with and I just switch it over into something else and ignore that part of it. We get to analyze these things and really go to a deep place. So this is bringing us all into the next season that we'll go into in the next module. Um, my advice, again, for all of these things is connection with God. Because you, if you hear his voice first, the one who created, the one who designed you, what he has for you. If you start your morning with the question, what is mine to do? Not what is the whole world's to do? What do I need to do in a lifetime? But what is mine to do today? And ask him that and let him fill it in. And the second question always I ask myself is, what do I have control of and what do I have absolutely no control of? Because there's things now I have adult children and I have grandchildren and I have son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws and our family has just continued to grow. And I could stay up all night in angst or worry about different situations that are happening in our family or knowing what my kids are going through in their 20s and the exhaustion that they're in, the traveling that they're doing for their careers, the, the families that they're building. I, I could never sleep again worrying about those things and asking the Lord, like, what is mine to do and what do I have control over? I have control. I can pray for them, but I also can release them because this is part of their journey. And this idea of making everything perfect for everyone else it didn't work for me. It didn't work for you. It's not going to work for your kids or your grandkids or your husband, your best friend, whoever. You have to ask, what is yours to do? And what are you supposed to be working on? And what do you need to let go? It's a beautiful season. So we'll end here and we'll pick up in the next module of Becoming a Queen.